The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Well, good morning, church family. If you have your Bibles, take them to the Gospel of John, chapter number 14, is where we'll be for our text reading today. The Gospel of John, chapter number 14. And we are continuing our sermon series that we're simply entitling uh, Blue Collar Gospel. And we're talking about how the good news of the gospel, that is, Christ's life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We're looking at the implications of the gospel on our sanctification and our spiritual maturity. Uh, What implications does the gospel have on our everyday lives? And and I'm so grateful and I'm super thankful that it has massive implications on our salvation, our justification, and our ultimate home in heaven. But what are the implications of the gospel for our everyday lives? And so that's what we're exploring in this particular series. And today we're going to talk on this subject of gospel implications implications for people who struggle with fear. Gospel implications for people who struggle with fear. Uh, How many in here have ever had a season, or maybe you're currently going through a season, where you struggle with some type of fear, maybe some type of anxiety, or maybe it's just a strange phobia that you have, and it's not really super deep or super spiritual, but it's still something you struggle with nonetheless. Anybody like that here today? Okay, a couple of you have both your hands up, and uh, I remember there was a season uh, uh, where I had this kind of phobia, this almost this anxiety every time I would have to fly. Any, anybody get phobia or anybody get anxiety when you have to fly and uh, man I fly quite a bit and so typically I'm I'm fine it doesn't phase me very much but a couple of years ago I went through this phase where it just every time I had to get on an airplane my anxiety levels just shot through the roof and I'd get nervous and I'd start breaking out in cold sweats it was just a very unnerving thing as we would be flying in these airplanes and I don't know what brought it on because it wasn't something I had when I was younger and I've kind of moved through it a little bit, but it was for a couple of years, it was just something I had this anxiety, anxiety about. I'd, I'd literally sit there in the plane as the plane was taking, taking off. I'd have these uh, very vivid uh, images in my head of the plane crashing, you know, and that didn't help the anxiety at all, you know, as your imagination is just running wild. Uh, but I remember on one of these occasions, my brother and I we were flying, and I don't remember exactly where we were going, and uh, as we were flying along, the captain got on the loudspeaker to make some just routine announcements, but as the captain was talking, we just hit some of the worst turbulence I'd ever experienced, right as the captain was on the intercom, and not only did it startle us, but it startled him as well, because as he was on the intercom, all of a sudden you heard across the whole plane, whoa, 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 just like that, really loud. That is not a very comforting experience uh, to hear from your pilot. Uh, He tried to play it off. He obviously knew he was on the loudspeaker, and so he just made a joke about it. Uh, He just kind of said, well, folks, it it looks like we just hit some uh, train tracks there. No big deal. Uh, We're fine. And I remember Daniel looking over at me and said, I'm not hitting train tracks. Felt like we got hit by the train, you know? I don't know what happened here. And so there's these anxieties that we have, and they're around different things. On one occasion, I had a friend of mine who had to fly to his wedding, and he had the most terrible phobia, the most terrible anxiety around flying. He was standing there getting ready to hand the lady his ticket to get on the plane because he was uh, supposed to be getting married in two days. 
And he stood there in just cold sweats and could not make himself get on that airplane, knowing that just two days he had to be across the country in order to get married. And he stood there and everything he could, he tried to just muster, you know, the willpower to get on that airplane, he couldn't do it. He went downstairs, rented a car, and for two days straight, he drove across the country, barely making it in time for his wedding. And, and in that scenario, fear had a crippling effect. It kept him from experiencing everything that he could have experienced if he would have been able to overcome that fear. And, and yet the reality is this, fear often stops a lot of us in our tracks and, and that's a little bit of what we're going to look at today and and we're going to dive into so if you're physically able i'd like to invite you to stand as we read from our text the gospel of john chapter number 14 we're going to read verse number 27 and then we'll dive into our message here today the scriptures say in the gospel of john chapter number 14 verse 27 jesus is speaking for those of you who have bibles with a red letter edition you'll notice that these words are in red meaning that it is the very words of jesus christ and jesus says in the gospel of john 14 verse 27 he says peace i leave with you the context of this is jesus getting ready to ascend but he says I i'm not going to leave you comfortless he's going to give you the holy spirit and he says i'm going to leave peace with you Verse 27, he says, my peace I give unto you, but notice this, not as the world giveth. You see, the peace that God makes available is very different than the world's peace. You say, what is the world's type of peace? The world says you can have peace when circumstances are going your way. The world says you can be at peace, you know, when everybody's treating you right. The world says you can be at peace when you have plenty of money in the bank account, when every circumstance and situation of your life is going exactly the way you think it should be going. That's how the world offers peace. And God says, I've got something better. He says in verse number 27, I'm not going to give you that type of peace. He says, I give unto you. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you're going to go through some difficult circumstances. You're going to go through situations that are going to be hard. But I offer you a peace that transcends circumstance. A peace even not just over storms, but in the midst of these storms. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll ask the Lord to bless our Bible study together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the peace that you make available. Lord, I thank you that you give us, by your Spirit, the grace and the strength to overcome fear and anxiety and troubles. I pray that you would use the, the good news of the gospel this morning to inform how we overcome the struggle that we have when it, when it comes to fear, when it comes to anxiety. We pray that you'd bless as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Our theme for this morning is simply this. Because peace comes from Christ and not circumstances. This is, this is the type of peace that, that God offers. Because our peace ultimately comes from Christ and not from our circumstances, we don't need to live our lives, we don't need our lives to go perfectly in order to be free from fear. 
See, there is this idea, in order to live free from fear, in order to live free from anxiety, then everything's got to go just right. And what we're going to see is that peace does not come from just having life go perfectly and everything exactly the way you want it to be. Peace comes because we are in Christ and we have his spirit abiding with us every moment of every day, which means regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we're going through, regardless of what you know, we face on a daily basis, we can have peace. Our hearts can be at rest, not because of what's around us, but because of who resides within us. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been using a gospel framework to help us move through this process of identifying how the good news of the gospel really informs our maturity and growth in these areas. So we're going to throw this up onto the screens real quick. I want you to notice this. I want you to see, first of all, what the gospel shows us is what sin does to us. There comes a moment in our lives where we have to own, we have to take responsibility for how sin messes with our lives. And and today we're gonna look at how fear messes with our daily lives. But the good news doesn't stop there. It doesn't just diagnose the problem, it gives us more. Not only does it show us what sin does to us, it shows us what God does for us in the midst of those troubles, in the midst of those difficulties, and in the midst of those hardships. So we see the gospel reveals what sin does to us, then it reveals what God does for us in the midst of those struggles. Then it reveals what Christ does in us. This is more than just God doing something for us. This is Christ making us a new creature, giving us a new essence and a new identity. And we get to see what Christ does in us. And then ultimately we find out through the good news of the gospel, through this gospel framework, what the spirit of God desires to do through us. He doesn't want to leave us in a situation where we're going to be battered by sin and by weakness and temptation. He wants to give us the grace and strength through his spirit to help us overcome these things. So today, we are going to take this framework that we just laid out in front of you, and we're going to talk about it in context to fear and anxiety. And we're really going to process our fear and anxiety through this gospel framework. So as we begin to work our way through the gospels, specifically as it pertains to fear and anxiety first we must have the humility to admit what sin does to us in this particular area of our lives okay we're not going to be able to get victory over fear if we're not identifying and we're not aware of how this fear actually affects us which leads us to our first thought today and that is simply this fear destroys our future fear destroys our future. Let's unpack this a little bit today. There might be somebody here this morning and you say, man, I, I don't really think that I struggle with fear. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm the type of person who struggles with anxiety. Now, there was a few people earlier and you raised your hand, you're like, man, I'll admit it. You know, I, I struggle with it. I wrestle with it. I know I do. But there's other people in here who also struggle with it they just don't realize that they do because it doesn't look the way they think fear is supposed to look and so they're wrecked by something deep inside their soul and they don't even know what it is 
but at its roots, it's fear. So let me take some time to kind of unpack and pull back the layers of some of the ways in which fear wrecks our lives that we might not even be aware of. What does sin or the sin of fear do to us? How does the weakness of fear affect us on a daily basis? Well, on a very basic level, um, you know, fear and fear of the future and anxiety causes us to miss out on the joys of the present. If you're one of these people and you're always worried about, man, what's going to happen next week? And oh, what's gonna, you're worried about what's going to happen next month and you're stressed out about what's going to happen with the kids and what's going to happen with our bills and what's going to happen with our health. And, and then you're just, you're, you're constantly in anxiety. You're constantly biting your nails. You're constantly worrying about the future. I promise you this. If that's you, then you're, you're not enjoying the grace that God has given you in this moment. You're so worried about what might happen in the future. You can't fully experience what God has given you in this moment. And what's crazy, and you guys know this, 90% of what we worry about doesn't even happen. (laughs) And yet the reality is we destroy, we sabotage this moment because of what might happen in a future moment, and we end up living lives of quiet desperation because of this underlying fear. Right now on the internet, you might have seen it on your Facebook feeds or things like that, but there's this phrase that's kind of becoming popular right now. It's called FOMO. How many of you have heard of this FOMO? F-O-M-O, FOMO. Hashtag FOMO. So what does FOMO mean? It just simply means this, fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. You know another way that fear sabotages our lives? We live in fear of missing out. Oh man, I'm, I'm afraid that if I don't buy this and I don't do that, that, that I'm going to miss out on something. I'm afraid that if I just do what God calls me to do and live the way God wants me to live, that I'll miss out on owning that and enjoying those things and experiencing that thing. And all of a sudden, we don't even realize it, but this, this idea of FOMO, the fear of missing out, drives us to, dis- to destinations, drives us to places that can ultimately be very unhealthy for our lives. Why? Because we're just afraid of missing out on something. And so we spend money we don't have. We put things across. Why? I just don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out on doing that or experiencing that or owning that. And, and this Fear of missing out drives us and can potentially drive us to some unhealthy places. Another way in which fear can sabotage our lives is oftentimes fear will keep us from stepping out by faith and and moving toward our God-given dreams. I think all of us would understand this. Fear keeps us from stepping out and really experiencing God's best for our lives. There might be some people in here, and, and deep down you know, man, there's a step, of, there's a step you need to take, this, this direction you need to move, but there, there's just so much fear around it, you can't. So sometimes this can happen in someone who, maybe it's just this, uh, something as basic as, man, you're feeling a sense that, I, I really think I need to start this business. And people have been coming around and counseling you toward that, but fear keeps you from stepping out into the unknown. And fear paralyzes you. It can be something as basic as, man, being afraid to talk to your boss about that promotion or talk to your boss about, you know, maybe that raise. And that fear 
paralyzes you from stepping out and experiencing God's best and and really following God-given dreams. And this is probably the most common way in which fear paralyzes us. Fear sabotages us. It keeps us from being able to move forward into the life that God has destined for us because we're just afraid. Let me give you another way in which fear sabotages the Christian. Fear affects our lives. Fear will often cause us to avoid healthy and respectful conflict. Now, now this, this might be different because you're thinking, what? There might be some individuals in this room right now, maybe even in some marriages, and you need to engage some things. And I'm not talking about being disrespectful. I'm not talking about being mean. But I'm talking about healthy conflict. Saying some things that need to be said in love. And for some of us, if we're not careful, our marriages can go 5 and 10 and 15 and 20 and 25 years. And we just live in this place of just like, like, oh well, it is what it is. And we know deep down God has something better for it. God has something grander, but we're so afraid of conflict. We're so afraid of making somebody a little uncomfortable. We're so afraid of what they might think of us that that fear paralyzes us and keeps us from saying some things that need to be said in love and doing some things that need to be done respectfully because we're just paralyzed by fear of what that person will think or what that person will say. And oftentimes, and I've seen many, many marriages that 20, 30, and 40 years down the road, you've got two people who walk on eggshells all the time. Because rather than just dealing with things in a healthy way and a respectful way, they start ignoring this and ignoring that. And before they know it, you get two people living under the same roof because everybody's afraid to actually communicate. And fear begins to sabotage relationships and marriages. Another way in which fear sabotages the life of an individual is not only does fear keep us from doing things, because that's the way we tend to think about fear. Fear keeps me from doing this. Fear keeps me from doing that. Fear keeps me from doing those things. But here's what's interesting about fear. Did you know that there are people, maybe even in this room, and your fear doesn't keep you from doing things, but actually it does the opposite. Fear actually drives you to do things that you're uncomfortable with. The fear of what this person will think of you, the fear of what those people might say about you drives you to do things you don't really want to do, something you don't really feel comfortable with, something that you really don't think is healthy long term, and yet that fear just kind of grips you and actually causes you to do things. Just so you can get the acceptance of somebody else or something else. Cause you to cross boundaries that you just, you don't even want to cross yourself. See, how does this happen? This can happen for people who, who tend to work. Sometimes workaholics can fall into this. They work so much, and, and deep down the reason they're working is because they're afraid of not having enough money. So they work and work and work and work and work. This often happens among entrepreneurs, people who are starting their own businesses. They're so afraid of not having enough. 
They're so afraid of what would somebody think if I had to, if I had to drive an old car? What would somebody say if I had to live in a tiny little apartment? And so they work and they work and they work and they work because they fear what people might think of them if they're not reaching a certain level of success. And it is actually their fear that is driving their workaholicism. We have to be aware of this. Now, I'm not saying everybody who works a ton is doing this. I'm saying this is a very real thing. There's other people in this room, if I can just be blunt, maybe you're lazy and you need to work more. (laughs) Okay, there's two extremes here. But we're talking about fear, and this is one of the ways fear doesn't just keep us from doing things. This is a way in which fear actually causes us to do things that we probably would rather not do. Uh, Here's another way, and this is very, very common, how fear sabotages our lives by causing us to do things that we wouldn't normally do, and I would say this, oftentimes fear can cause people to spend money they don't really have, they put things on credit card, they get into debt, they buy things, <laughs> one person said it this way, they, they spend money and buy things they don't want to impress people they don't even like. <laughs> Why? Because they're afraid of what somebody will think of them. They're afraid of what, so they, they're constantly spending and spending and spending the money they don't even have, putting things on debt and credit. Why? Because I, I want people to think I, I've got it together. I want people to see me driving a really nice car. I want them to see me living in a big old house. I want them to see me, you know, on my vacations on Instagram or Facebook. I, I want to be esteemed. And your fear of not being respected or affirmed in all these different ways causes you to spend money. You really probably, wisdom would tell you not to spend And the underlying cause sometimes is not greed. Sometimes it's fear. What will people think? What will my parents think? What will my friends think? Because you know deep down I'm perfectly fine driving this car, but you feel like I got to have that one. And sometimes it's fear. Um, another way in which fear sabotages parents, can I talk to you who are parents today? Grandparents? Some of us are so afraid of our kids not liking us that we become pushovers. We allow them to do things that we're not uncomfortable with, things that we know won't be healthy for them long term, but because they, because they whine and they scream and they push and they nag and finally we just give in because we want them to like us. And, and we can't bear the thought of our kid not liking us for a minute. And that's fear. And can I talk to the teens for a moment? If you're in here and you're a teenager, you know there's sometimes fear for a teenager will cause you to do things at school just because your friends think it's cool. Uh, man, this is one of the reasons so many teenagers get involved with drugs and all kinds of alcohol abuse. Why? Because they're afraid, afraid of what their friends will say if they don't get involved with it. 
And all of a sudden, they start doing things that they don't, they don't even really want to do, but everybody's saying it's cool, and everybody's saying, you know, if you're this or that, then you'll do that. And so the fear of not being accepted by your friends causes you to do things you don't even want to do. And what's at the root of it? It's a, you're, you're afraid of what they might say about you. You're afraid that you might not have any friends. You're afraid, you know, of, of what they might do. And so that fear causes you to do things as a 15-year-old and 16-year-old that you might regret for the rest of your life because of fear. Fear. I'll say lastly, and we've taken a lot of time with this to set this up, but it doesn't take a long time to figure out. You can, you can go on the internet, you can Google this, but anxiety and stress and fear literally hurts us physiologically. A lot of the physical things that we face in our bodies. A lot of the diseases that run rampant, not all of them, but many of them can be traced back to fear, anxiety, and stress. It puts our nervous system in this place where it's always about, you know, fighting and fighting and da 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 and all the time our nervous system is just kind of overworked and your body can only handle that for so long until it shuts down. Why? Because it just needs to rest. It causes you to get sick just so you have to slow down and relax for a minute. Fear will often keep us from stepping out of our comfort zone and doing God's will. You know, there's some things in the, in the Christian life that God wants you to do, and, and you know God wants you to do them. Maybe for some of you here, you know that the Spirit of God is leading you to get baptized. And just fear is keeping you from doing it. it. You know that the Spirit of God is leading you to pour into the life of somebody else in a, in a mentoring, spiritual mentoring, discipleship type way. And, and you know that would bring God glory and honor. And you, you know that it would bring joy to your own heart if you could be a part of something like that. You know it would be best. But fear keeps you from stepping out of your comfort zone into that. You're just like, I'm afraid I don't know enough. I'm afraid I might hurt, mess somebody's spiritual life up. And so it's fear that keeps you from bringing glory to God by, by honoring him, even with, your, with, with the choices you make. I think I put this in your notes, but I'll say this. I really do believe that fear kills more dreams than failure ever will. Fear kills more dreams. It kills more relationships kills people even physiologically as we've seen it it kills finances and many times not all the time but many times the root of it is fear it's fear and jesus says in matthew chapter number six he says take no thought for tomorrow for tomorrow shall take thought of the things of itself hey don't worry about tomorrow. Don't fear tomorrow. God's got it, and you can trust him. There's a lot of ways we, we, we tempt to justify this. If, if you're like me, we try to justify our fear. We call it, here's what we call it. Well, I'm just being responsible. <laughs> it's good to be responsible. It's wise to be responsible. But that responsibility should not be driven by a motivation of fear. And when it is driven by a motivation of fear, while what you are doing might be correct, what is driving it will destroy you. 
the way most people, especially Christians, the way we tend to deal with fear is we just get to a place where we shrink our world down to these little comfortable existences. We just, we create a little bubble for ourselves. We only get around people who affirm everything that we think. We don't hang around people who would ever make us feel uncomfortable or, or, or challenge us in an area, you know. I don't want accountability. I don't want that. And so we shrink our world down until we just have a couple little friends that will always just kind of reaffirm exactly what we think about this and that because that's comfortable. Shrink our world down to where we literally no longer have to live lives of faith. No longer have to trust God because we, we just live in this small little world of quiet desperation until we die. But at least we're, we die comfortably. So what does sin do to us? As we see throughout scripture, this, this fear, this anxiety destroys our future by paralyzing our present. But as we continue to move through the gospel framework, not only do we see what, what, what fear does to us, but we see what God does for us when it comes to the issue of fear and anxiety. How does God meet the person who's struggling with fear? What does God do? How does he respond to those of you who are wrecked by anxiety, who are overwhelmed by stress? How does God, how does God meet you in those moments? How does God respond to you? Does he look down on you with disdain and disgust? And if we're not careful, that's how we tend to look. God looks at us like, man, what's wrong with you? That's, 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 that, that's what we tend to think. We, it's easy for us to think that God looks down on us as we worry and we're in fear. And he just, he just, just is just disgusted. Here they're my child and, and they're, they're afraid. Here they are my children and, and they're stressed out and they're worried. And, and, and if we're not careful, we tend to get this idea that God just is, that I'm just making God so unhappy. Do you want to know how God meets you in your fear? You know how God meets you in your anxieties and in your worries? I'm going to tell you what he did. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to live the life you could never live, die the death you should have died for the consequences of your sin. Why? So he could conquer our greatest fear. You say, what is that? The fear of the grave, the fear of death. Jesus literally became our savior. And because of what happened on the cross of Calvary, we now have the hope of eternal life in heaven with God for all of eternity. At the cross, Jesus literally conquered the greatest fear that existed to humanity. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. He conquered hell. The thing that causes the most worry, the most fear, the most dread, death itself, and God has conquered that. That's why the Apostle Paul came to a place where he says to live is Christ, to die is gain, to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. He just was like, I can live my life, I'm not in fear. Why? Because I know the very worst thing that can happen to me is I'll be with Jesus. <laughs> This is how God meets us in his fear. He meets us by sending his son, which brings us to our second thought today, and that is this. It is God who ultimately keeps us safe and secure. 
It is ultimately God who keeps us safe and secure. I want to remind you today that we have a God that is strong and we have a God that is powerful. He's mightier than all the kings that has ever lived. And throughout his word, we see a God that is our shield. We see a God that is our fortress. We see a God that is our defender. And we see a God that is our protector. And don't you ever forget that. When you're going through life and you're struggling with worries and you're overwhelmed by fears, remind yourself that you have a heavenly father that is in heaven and it is he that ultimately will keep you safe. It is he that will ultimately keep your children safe. It is he that will provide and sustain. It is he that conquered the ultimate fear of death and there's nothing less than that that he cannot protect you from. That's your God. And this is how God responds to those who live in a state of fear. He comes to them and reminds them that he has conquered everything that can ultimately destroy you. He is that strong. He is that mighty. And I want to remind you that the same God who kept Daniel safe in the lion's den and the same God that kept David safe as he faced Goliath and the same God that kept the children of Israel safe against Pharaoh's army is the same God who promises to stand in our defense against everything that the enemy would throw our way. That's your God. And this is how God responds to those who struggle with fear. He he responds with his strength, his grace, and his mercy. And he responds by reminding you he's got it all under control. That's how God responds. Psalms 118, verse 6, the psalmist cries out. He says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. I'm not going to fear this world. I'm not going to fear the future. I'm not going to fear what those people or these people might do. Why? Because the Lord's with me. He is my shield. He is my fortress. He is my defender. He is my protector. And I trust him. Think about this. It's in your notes. But safety and security is not found in the absence of danger. See, if you want to try to shrink your little world down so there's no more danger and no more threat... There's nobody who can, you know, say anything mean against you and nobody who can hurt you and and live a life where nothing bad could ever happen to you. You shrink your little world down to such a, a small little thing where you no longer step out of your comfort zone. You no longer launch out by faith into what God is leading you to. You live in this, this little bubble of a world. You live in this shrink little world. You, we, we get the impression that that's what will keep me safe. But I want to remind you that danger and safety and security is not found in the absence of danger, but Rather, it is found in the presence of God. It's found in the presence of God. Can can I remind you today that ultimately it's God who keeps us safe? Not our 401k. See, if we're not careful, with our lips we say, I trust God in my future. I trust him. But really, we're trusting our bank account, we're trusting our finances, we're trusting our 401k, and then we could just give lip service to God. Now, please, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying having a 401k or a retirement plan, or, uh, that's not a bad thing. Here's, what's, here's, what, here's what makes it harmful, is when our heart posture toward our 401k is that is what gives me ultimate hope. No. Ask anybody around in 2008, and they'll be the first ones to tell you. The strong 401k is not ultimate hope and safety. It's God that keeps us safe. 
some of us, we, we find our sense of safety in our spouses. And that's, that, it's our spouses that make us feel safe and our spouses that make us feel secure. And, and, and we almost relish in the fact that we've got this incredible relationship and they're a rock, you know? And I want to say this very carefully. But ultimately, your spouse is not your sole source of security and safety. And if, the, if your heart posture, your heart ultimately leans upon them to give you a sense of safety and a sense of trust, there will come a moment, mark it down, there will come a moment where your life will be shattered. It will happen. And I'm not even saying it has to end in divorce. I'm just saying you will, you will face a moment where if the heart, and I, I, you're saying, man, you're telling us not to stay married. You're telling us to, you know, no, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying what a blessing a spouse is. What a blessing a husband or a wife can be in relationships. They're a wonderful, wonderful thing. They are a horrible Messiah. They're a horrible thing to place your ultimate sense for safety and security into because the moment they, don't, they do something that doesn't make you feel safe, your world gets wrecked. But I'm going to say this. When you anchor your hope for safety and security in God, and regardless of what happens in the circumstances of your marriage, you can be at rest. rest. Your heart can be at peace. This is how God meets you. God is strong enough to meet you in these difficult moments. I don't think I need to say this, but your ultimate source of safety and hope is not the government. I'm all about voting responsibly, voting our values, standing up for what's right. I'm good. I think that's a healthy thing for people to do. But I'm going to say this. There are people And you can tell by the way they talk, and you can tell by the way they post online. It literally, all of it comes from a sense that my hope is in what happens in Washington, D.C. No. Your hope is already settled in heaven. Put your faith and trust in that, and then be a responsible citizen. (laughs) Put your trust in God, and then go vote. But don't do it the other way around. Your hope's not the government, that they're going to provide. Your hope is Jesus. Let that, be the, let that be the posture of your heart. All right? What, is, what does fear do to us? Fear destroys our future. What does God do for us in the midst of our fear and anxiety? He keeps us safe. He keeps us secure. And this is such good, wonderful news. But as we continue through this framework, not only do we see what fear does to us and and what God does for us, thirdly, thirdly, as we move through the gospel framework, as we're trying to really, in a holistic sense, overcome this fear, thirdly, we've got to recognize what Christ does in us. This is big. Because it's not just that God does something for his children. He actually makes them new at their essence. They are made new creatures in Christ. It's not just that God, he does, he does things for us, but he also inside in our values and our motivations and our habits and our character and our essence and our soul, he literally transforms us from the inside out. And so what does he make you to be in Christ? Let me give you your third statement. Who, who are we in Christ? In Christ. In the faith, when we're talking about, when we're in the context of fear and anxiety, I want to say this. In Christ, we are made bold. 
In Christ, we are made courageous. And in Christ, we are made confident, not because of our circumstances and not because of our situation and not because of how much money we have in the bank, not because of, you know, who's in Washington, D.C. We're not safe and secure because of all those things. We are safe because in Christ, he has made us bold. In Christ, we've already overcome our greatest fears in the grave and in death and in hell. And any lesser thing should not be able to grip our soul with anxiety. Why? Because in Christ we are safe in Christ we are secure in Christ we are at peace because the spirit of God resides within us the spirit of Christ resides within us and he says I will never leave you I will never forsake you and I shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus and you can trust me that's your heavenly father your safety and security is not found in this thing or that thing it's found in the fact that in Christ, you are safe. In Christ, you are secure, regardless of what's happening in your bank account, and regardless of what's happening with your business, and regardless of what's happening in the government, regardless of what's happening in your marriage, in Christ, you are safe. In Christ, you are secure, and in Christ, you can be bold. Proverbs 28, verse 1 says, The wicked run when no man pursue. The righteous, they're as bold as a lion. If you are in Christ, then you have been made righteous and you have nothing to fear. You can stand. Why? Not because you have it all together. Not because your life is perfect. You can stand because you have the spirit of Christ within you who has already guaranteed you the victory in this life. And the very worst thing that could happen to you, death, simply means abiding in the presence of Jesus. I want you to think about this for a moment. Because our confidence is in Christ, you know, it's in Christ for security and safety and not in my job. We no longer have to work insane hours and neglect our responsibilities at home or in our personal lives just to feel safe. You don't have to. You don't have to become a workaholic just to feel safe just to feel secure. Let's move on. Because, because our sense of security and safety is in Christ and not in our bank account, I no longer have to hoard what I have in order to feel safe, in order to feel secure. I can be generous. Why? Because ultimately my sense of safety is not found in what I possess and what I have. My sense of safety comes in who I am in Christ. And now I'm free. I'm free. So, as we've worked through the gospel framework, we saw what sin does to us. This, this is how the gospel unpacks itself. What does it do? Fear destroys our future. What God does for us, he keeps us safe and secure. What does Christ do in us? What, what does he make us? He makes us safe. He makes us secure. He makes us at peace. And he makes us bold. Why? Because the spirit of Christ, his grace resides within us. I want you to see as we conclude our reflections of overcoming, overcoming fear and anxiety within the framework of the gospel. Lastly, we should remember what the Spirit promises to do through us. The Spirit doesn't want to leave you in your fear. It doesn't want to leave you in your anxieties. It doesn't want to leave you in your stress. God loves you too much for that. I, I, now, I'll say this. God loves you when you're stressed out. He's okay with you when you're worried. He's not mad at you. He's not upset with you. But I will say this, he, want, he has something better for you. He doesn't want to leave you there. 
He wants you to experience life and life more abundantly. And so he gives you the spirit of God to do through you what maybe you couldn't do in your own personality. So what does the spirit promise to do through us? He promises to always live confidently through our lives, which leads us to our last thought. Living confidently in the spirit is always possible. I want to say this. In the spirit, the spirit of God, he wants you to live confidently and at peace every step of the way. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 7 says this, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord and whose confidence is in him. The word blessed is kind of an ancient biblical world word. It simply means this, happy. Happy is the one who fully trusts in the Lord. You want to be happy? The Bible says when, when, our, hearts at, when our hearts are trusting in the Lord and our hearts at peace, you're just going to be happier. Now, this is not the big grand goal of the Christian life, your happiness, but it's a nice byproduct. It's a nice, you know? Some of you are, some of us, if we're not careful, we so struggle with stress and anxiety and fear, we can't even remember the last time we were just at peace. At rest. When's the last time you are just happy for no reason? Even when circumstances weren't going the way you wanted them to go and situations didn't, were, were not maybe going the way you thought they were. When was the last time you were just at peace in the midst of that? See, this is, this is what the Spirit of God wants to, this is what he promises to do through somebody who is by grace, who is experiencing God's grace by faith. All right? Let me, give you a, let me give you a couple of statements of how this unpacks itself. Because Christ's spirit is within me, how many of us believe that, right? We're believers, Christ's spirit's within us. Then his courage and confidence flows through our veins, and I am now able to step into the unknown by faith and follow his will regardless of how scary that might be. I can step into the unknown, why? Because my sense of safety does not come with comfortable, familiar surroundings. It comes because Christ is with me. So I can step into the unknown and know everything I need to be safe and secure, at peace, is gonna go with me. Okay, another one. Because my confidence comes from Christ and it is within me and it will always be with me, then I always have access to the courage I need to step out of my comfort zone and live out God's audacious plan for my life. I don't need to shrink my world down to something that's comfortable. I can allow my life to expand beyond my comfort zone into the life that God has destined for us to live. I don't have to be afraid of the unknown or the unfamiliar because Christ will go with me. And in his, in his spirit is courage and confidence every step of the way. Even if circumstances are not going the way we'd want. Because my confidence is no longer anchored to something outside of me that can be lost, I'm free to move into uncertain situations and trust that he'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me. See, this is the outflow of somebody who really believes this. And I'll say this, all of this is experienced by grace. There's nothing you have to earn, do to earn this sense of safety, earn this sense of security, to earn this sense of peace. No, you just simply, the, here's what the scriptures say. You access the good news of the gospel simply by grace through faith. God offers this all to you. He offers you this peace. He offers you this courage. He offers you this confidence. He makes it fully available to you by his grace. 
And all you need in order to experience it and to enjoy it and to sense it is belief and faith in its reality. Do you believe he is big enough, he is strong enough, he is powerful enough to keep you safe and secure and at rest and at peace regardless of what situations throw at you? Do you fix your heart on him? It's all by grace and you experience it by faith. Or do you and do I, do we tend to place more faith in what the enemy can do against us or what God can do for us. Somebody wants to find fear is simply faith in the enemy. Because when there is faith in God, what the enemy can do just begins to fade into the background. All right? Let me give you three statements as we conclude as the takeaway. You say, what do you do when you're struggling to grow in this grace also? What, what, what do you do? Number one, I remember God's provision in the past and allow it to stir up confidence in my heart for the future. Just remember God's, God's provision in the past. How many of you can be like, man, praise God for what he's brought me through? I think all of us could be like, God's, got me through, God's gotten me through a lot. Can I say this? Every once in a while it's good just to thank the Lord for it, focus on that, and let that stir up your faith in what he can do in the future. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So remember God's provision in the past and let that stir up your confidence for the future. Number two, allow the grace of God to change your mental default from fear to faith here by meditating on and memorizing God's promises. See, when, when, when the broken record in your mind starts playing and playing and playing and playing and everything's not gonna work out and everything's gonna fall apart, man, just change that mental default. And one of the ways we do this is by meditating and memorizing the word of God and just keeping our eyes on Jesus. In fact, Isaiah says that God keeps them in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on him. Did you know that God says, hey, I'll, I'll allow you to live in a state of peace if you'll just fix your mind on him? You fix your mind on God and he'll fix your life. Number three, what do we do when we're struggling? What are some practical ways the spirit, how do we know if the spirit's working this grace through us? Here's a third way. We'll find that we're surrendering to God by doing uncomfortable things that align with who we really are in Christ. We just, we're constantly surrendered to doing those uncomfortable things that push us out of our comfort zone that aligns with who we really are. Oh, that's why Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. Don't lean to your own understanding. Why? Your understanding will get you off. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then surrender, just surrender to doing those uncomfortable things that aligns with who God declares you to be. All right? Because peace comes from Christ and not circumstances, we don't need our lives to go perfectly to be free from fear. Because our confidence, our peace, our security, our safety comes from the presence and enjoying and experiencing the presence of God by faith every, every moment of every day, shall we pray. Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.